We're blessed this morning to have Jason Peaks with us. For those that were uh, heard him before, he was with us a couple months ago. He's back. Uh, he is, for those that don't know him, he is the uh, pastor of campus ministry at Regent University. And I'll guarantee you will be blessed and, and stirred up by his word today. So please come, Jason. I think it's been about a year, actually. Has it been that long? I, I know it doesn't. It doesn't seem like it. Um, but uh, yeah, I was because I was thinking that I think it was right around graduation from last year. So we around 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 same time. Um, happy Mother's Day to all mothers in the house. I am a big fan of mothers. Um, my wife is here today. She's right here on the front row, Danielle. And she is a super mom to our two children, Mercy Ray Claire, and she's expecting in August uh, Callan Reeves Chasen. So he's uh, he's our little boy that we're pumped about baby Cal coming. So uh, my mom is also um, a minister, and so I feel like it's just a special thing to be raised by just a, a godly woman and to have a godly wife be such great moms for me. I'm really, really excited to uh, just honor them and honor all of you wonderful women of God who are in the house of the Lord. And uh, thank you, Dr. Hill, even though he's not here, and all the Riverbend crew for having me back. Um, What a risk to bring me back. Last time I told Dr. Hill, you know, last time uh, it got a little interesting. Uh, At the end of the service, it was just, um, God was just really moving and working and um, as I was praying into today, um, I kind of felt some similar things, but some some different things at the same time. Um, I was reading in the scriptures and um, kind of doing my daily reading, and I ran across this verse, and I, I thought for certain that that was the reading for that day. Uh, last, I think this is like last Tuesday when I was really praying into, you know, what am I supposed to bring to uh, Riverbend today? And what I found is that it wasn't the reading for the day at all. It was Friday's reading. Somehow I read Friday's reading on Tuesday, uh, and I felt like that was some strange confirmation that I was doing the right thing. And then Dr. Hill had uh, said, hey, I really think you're supposed to do something while you're here. And I was like, I don't know. And then the chapter basically says it. So there was just like all these kind of uh, prophetic moments surrounding this message Um, A song came to my mind when I was reading through the passage that really just struck me and hit me and thought to myself, this is, there's something very unique and something very special about this passage of scripture that we're going to be reading today Um, from Psalm 87. If you have your Bible, um, one commentator said it's the most unsung psalm uh, because it's really, it's really weird. It's really odd. Um, They liken the oddity of it probably due to the fact that it had some sort of prophetic underpinning. You know, kind of like these singers and songwriters were just in this moment where they were worshiping the Lord and just something prophetic happened and they just kept changing gears as the Lord changed gears. And so uh, it's a bit weird and a bit random, but hopefully we can walk through it together as I really felt like the Lord wanted us to stir up the prophetic culture of Riverbend um, and to really stir that up and uh, we're going to talk a little bit about it more in a second. But before I do, I just, um, bef- I just, I'm going to forget if I don't do it now. On my way over here, I was just really praying, 
and asking the Lord um, just to speak. And I started thinking about you, Pastor Todd. Um, and I have never met him until this morning, right? You're Pastor Todd. Cool. Um, and as I was praying, I felt so strongly in my heart. Um, I just kept hearing the word doctor over and over again. And I don't know, I don't know what your educational level is or whatever, but I really felt like there's this deep, beautiful thing that the Lord wants to do in the doctorate place of ministry. I don't know if you've ever thought about a demon or a PhD, but I felt like I kept hearing the Lord say, you will be a doctor of the church. Kind of like in the middle ages, they would have these doctors of the church that would basically confirm the word of the Lord that was happening in these scholastic moments and in these, um, in like these, the temples of old and in like, um, the cathedrals is the, the picture I saw like this. And I kind of saw you with this like ancient picture and this future picture at the same time, really merging them with this educational doctorate ability. So I don't know if you're planning on doing that, but I really felt like the Lord just said to encourage you. Education is a-okay. Go for it. I know it's a big leap, but I, I really did feel strongly. Um, like I said, I don't, I don't really know him, but I did feel so strongly that word doctor of the church really came to my heart in this ancient new thing that I feel like you really will bring to Riverbend and who you are and your personality and your gifting. But I think that even educationally, it will empower you to create this place to be something that embraces both the old and the new simultaneously. So I just really honor that thing that's on your life that God's really doing. And I know you're a guest, right? Your crystal sister. What's your name? Joy. Um, I, during worship... I was just sitting there, I looked at you, and immediately the Lord just began to speak to me about you. And I really felt like the Lord said that this has been a season where dreams have been deferred. The things that were in your heart, the thing that you thought you were going to get to do, that you're like, it's just not happening. It feels like that my dreams are being dashed. And the Lord said, I have not forsaken the dreams that I've given you. I will do the thing that's in your heart to do. It will come, and it will come quickly. So don't be worried about it. Don't be dismayed. Don't be frustrated at the context that you're in that doesn't seem to embrace the thing that you have in your heart to do. The Lord will release that dream. And it will be without a doubt that it is his dream and not just yours. Because in other seasons, it would have been your dream. But in this season that's about to come, it will be his dream. So I just bless that on your life too. <clears throat> just really felt that strong. So... Um, I just praise the Lord for the prophetic word, um, because we're going to talk about cultivating the prophetic um, in, the, in the context. Actually, before I go, I felt um, so strong, Denise. I, I was worshiping, and out of the corner of my eye, just, I sensed just the authentic worship that came forth from the back of the room. And I looked, and I saw you, and you were just in. And um, I really felt like the Lord just wanted to remind you that when you break the box that it always is beautiful. Every single time you break the box. And I feel like there's been seasons where you've been hesitant to break the box because you know how costly it is to do it because you've done it before. But the Lord would say, in this season and in this time, I'm asking you, will you break it again so that the fresh 
beautiful fragrance of the Lord that is in your life will be released in the context to facilitate the prophetic, even in this house, because there is a prophetic gifting that the Lord has put on your life, and you have been set here to be someone who will open ears and open eyes to understand the release of the prophetic, not just in worship like in past, but in the word of the Lord that would come forth from your lips. And so just really honor that and bless the prophetic in Denise's life as well. Praise the Lord. See, we are already cultivating a prophetic atmosphere. I'm feeling it. It's great. Good things. So what I want us to do is um, I want us to read this passage, and I want to explain kind of why I think this passage is important. So Psalm 87, I promise you you're going to read it, and you're going to say, this is so weird, but bear with me. It says, Psalm 87, a psalm of the sons of Korah, a song. On the holy mount stands the city he, God, founded. The Lord loves the gates of Zion more than all the dwelling places of Jacob. Glorious things of you are spoken, O city of God. Among those who know me, I mention Rahab in Babylon. Behold, Philistia and Tyre with Cush. This one was born there, they say, and of Zion it shall be said. This one and that one were born in her. For the Most High himself will establish her. The Lord records as he registers the peoples. This one was born there. Singers and dancers alike say, all my springs are in you. Can we pray? Father, I just ask that through the power of the Holy Spirit and the life of Jesus, God, that you would reveal yourself in this time. We give you full reign to move in the room. God, we give you full reign to express who you are. In Jesus' name, we ask all of these things. Amen. Amen. So I'm in the season at Regent where basically it's the end of the year. We have pioneered for three months last summer what God wanted to do and say, and we strategized for an entire year, and it ended last Thursday. Everything. The culmination happened last Thursday. It was over. It was finished. It was done. And um, a number of students graduated at the university. And truthfully, I can say that I was in a place where I thought to myself, man, I hate the moment where I'm in a blank slate. I've poured everything out all year long, all of these things that the Lord put on my heart that he made and formed for this year to happen. And we had an incredible year at the university. We've had like almost 400 students come out every Thursday to worship the living God. This is remarkable. And yet at the same moment, seeing the end of it caused me to say, I feel like I'm at the end of something. I feel empty. I feel dry. I feel poured out. And I've got nothing. Have you ever felt that way? Or are in that season? I really felt like the Lord said, when you are in those moments and seasons, what you desperately need is to stir up the prophetic in your life. To stir up the prophetic in your heart and in your mind. And I believe that this passage is just a simple explanation of what does it mean to live prophetically. What does it mean to live as somebody who understands what God really wants to do? So I want to explain a few things before we get into the passage further. Two things that I think we all need to get on the same page about. The first is that the passage constantly refers to Zion. 
Now, I don't know if you know a lot about the Bible or not, but Zion is not something that we typically say a lot these days. It's not like people are like, yes, praise God, the one who lives in Zion. It's just, it's not a real normal word for us to use. But in the scriptures, it is consistently used as a, as a word that encapsulates the kingdom of God, the presence of God, who God is in his fullness, the point of origin of everything that God's doing. It is the hub of God's work and activity in the earth. And in the Old Testament, what we find is that it started being uh, something that was important to the history and the understanding of Israel is that David took a Jebusite fortress over and he converted it into his palace and he converted it into a place of royalty. And then his son, Solomon, built the temple of God. And then the temple of God was added to this picture of the idea of Zion. So when we think and talk about Zion today, what I want you to think about is this idea of that it is the city that God dwells. It is the culture of who God is. It is the place where he is working from. It is the hub. It is the mothership. It is the motherland. It is the place where God is moving into the earth. The second part that I want us to all be thinking and processing is that the most consistent usages of Zion in the scriptures come mostly from the prophets. Therefore, meaning that Zion is a particularly beautiful and interesting thing for those people who are called prophetic. Now, I know that probably many of us have pictures or ideas of what the prophetic is or what it is not. But what I'd like to encourage you today is in my studies, I've been finding that the prophet is someone who truly is the spokesman of the Lord in the earth. That ha- they have the ability to look at contemporary moments and also at the same time as seeing contemporary moments, they hear what God is saying and doing in heaven at the same time. And so for us being people of God, we are all called to be prophetic people. Why? I mean, Paul goes so far to say, I wish that all of you would prophesy, meaning that there is an understanding and an ability that each one of us has to look at the situation in front of us and to ask the question, does it look like Zion? And if it doesn't, I must open my mouth. Does that make sense? This is a little bit strange. I know the Hebrew word for prophet is the word bubble up. See, we get this picture that a water stream or a well is within each one of us. Jesus says, out of your bellies will flow what? Living water. And so in this moment, the prophet is someone who allows the waters of the deep in their soul to come forward to their lips so that that it might be an expression of God in the earth. And so for each one of us, we all have this living water within us. I mean, that old song, I've got a river of life flowing out of me. You guys remember that? You know, makes the lame to walk and the blind to see. I'm like, man, if we started believing in that alone, we would really be prophetic people. But the the truth about it is, is that God is looking for people in this church to begin to cultivate a heart that would bubble up and bubble out. The moment that you will embrace this calling is the moment that you will realize where its place of origin always is. And that is Zion, the city of our God.
In the passage, it says in the superscript, a psalm of the sons of Korah, a song. So the first thing that I want us to note is that in order for us to cultivate or create a context where the prophetic things can happen and it not be goofy and weird, because I've seen that. I don't know about you. Seen that. Amen. We've seen the weird, crazy stuff in the prophetic. But the truth is, is where are those people who can carry God's heart into the earth? And in the passage, it says it takes men and women who are of Korah. Now, many of us probably don't know who Korah really is or who his sons are, for that matter. And what we find in the scriptures is that Korah is a group of people who are ministering in the temple of the Lord. They are Levitical, so they understand how to be a priest and how to walk into the fullness of God. They also understand tremendously how to um, take care of the utensils that are in the house. It says that they're, um, that they like the pans and the pots is what it says in the scriptures. They're the cooks in the, in the room. And I think for many of us, when we think about these men and these women who are of Korah, the biggest thing that I feel like I want to express and encourage us to think about is that we are people who are to be heard with a loud voice. It says in 2 Chronicles that these men and women of Korah, these Korites, 2 Chronicles 20:19 says that they stood up to praise the Lord, the God of Israel, with a very loud voice. Now, I'll be honest with you. I am not the big guy who wants to stand on a soapbox and start yelling at people. Not my DNA, not my thing. In fact, besides being behind this pulpit, I'm a pretty low-key guy. Like, I like in a personal relationship, one-on-one, it's, it's really fun. And what I feel like this passage is challenging us to think about is that we are to be people who have a loud voice. Now, I'll be honest, when I first read this, the first thought that I had in my mind is, who's the loudest person in the room is the person who looks like no one else. And they walk in the room and they're like, whoa, that person is loud. Their outfit is strange. Uh, And immediately I begin to think about people who are artistic. That was the first thought I had. They're the loud ones. Um, You know, because let's be honest, artists normally have the craziest opinions, the craziest dress, the craziest speech. They're a bit weird. You know, they're probably like me and Pastor Todd. Um, and, uh, and so in that sense, they come into the room and you hear them loud and clear. You know what I'm talking about, right? Help me out a little bit. Okay. So what I, what I started thinking about is two things that define a loud person in my mind. And, uh, and I believe that it's really something you see in the, in the sons of Korah. The first is that they are poetic people. Now, I am not trying to say that every single one of us is going to write beautiful, gorgeous poetry that's going to be epic and long. But what I'm to say is that poets are people who look at things around them and express how great they are. You know, I mean, it doesn't take much for me to look at my wife and to begin to say a lot of very beautiful, flowery things because she's so beautiful. You know, I mean, goodness. It's amazing. How did I, I married up, you know? And so for me, I was thinking about how the prophetic person really is tied into this idea of being a poet and that they understand that they are the workmanship of God. 
You know, it says in Ephesians, we are the workmanship. The Greek word is poema. We are the poem of God. Our very lives and existence, when you walk, you walk with a sense of rhythm and cadence and poetry. When you speak, you have a certain way you sound. It is poetic in its own way. And so people who are prophets or people who have prophetic abilities are a loud voice person who has the ability to be a poet. Somebody who can talk about the goodness of the Lord as it drips off their lips. That we'd be able to talk about him and man, he's amazing. Prophetic people aren't just poetic, but they're also creative. You know, obviously they're writing songs, so they're creative people. But I feel like sometimes creativity gets a bad name and it just gets limited to the pottery people (laughs) or the painters. But creativity, I believe, when I read in the scriptures, I see it's the ability to find connections where no one else sees them to be present. That's really all creativity is. When you see God of the universe creating the whole universe, he comes on the scene and he goes, oh, formlessness and void, the whole earth. How did he make that connection? I believe because he's the creator, the creative spirit of God. Jesus says the same thing with parables and old sayings. He's like, oh, by the way, look at the birds of the field. No one's clothed like they are. They loud too. Look at this mustard seed. It's just like the kingdom. See, that's, that's making a connection to a supernatural reality with a natural thing. It's making a connection. That's what prophetic people do. That's what the sons of Korah do in this passage because you see that they say things like, oh, the holy mount stands the city of God. Well, God doesn't really live on top of a mountain. See what I'm saying? But it's poetic and it's creative. It's making them have this picture in their mind of what things look like. The second thing that we are as prophetic people who are you know, making, if we want to create a prophetic culture, we have to be these people, is that we have to know God and his ways. It says that it's not just Korah who does these things, but the sons of Korah, meaning that there is a history and a heritage to understanding the things of God. I already said before that they are Levites, therefore they know a lot about the temple and how the presence of God works, but that in some ways they are people who have positioned themselves to recognize this has happened before and it will happen again. See, that's another part of being prophetic is that you have to know that the way God has worked is the way he will continue to work. It might look different, but it's the same redemption, the same salvation, the same desire in his heart every single time. I love that in the passage it says that these men are people who bought into being doorkeepers. You find out in other passages in scripture that those men of Korah, they are the ones who stood at the door. They are the ones who are able to make known the ways of God. When you come into this building, if there was a man of Korah here, he would say, oh, well, the bathrooms are over there and the children's ministry is over there and the sanctuary is here. He is going to help you get where you need to get in the situation. That's exactly what the sons of Korah do in this passage because clearly they were people who already knew the way for themselves. And now their desire was to show it to someone else. Lastly, prophetic people are concerned with being a vehicle to get people to God. Particular notes about these people in the scriptures, it says that they are those who love the gates of Zion. See, the gates are this beautiful place in the ancient Near East where basically everything happens. 
I mean, it's where commerce happens. It's where you meet up with your friends. It's where you meet up with your enemies. It's the place of justice. It's, it is the place in the city. It's the place of commerce. It is, it is like the hub. See, most of us think about the hub of the city being in the center. That is not the case with the ancient years. It's in the gates. The men's of Korah, it says in the scriptures that they realized that God loves the gates of Zion, that he loves the places that are access points for people. Prophetic people are always looking for a way for you to get closer to God. It doesn't matter if it's in their words, actions, or deeds. Their whole desire is to say, my life is a gate. I want to get you to God closer, further, farther than you thought you could have been. Even this morning, if you think about what happened in the room, it's like all I was trying to do is be like, I'm building a bridge, Joy. Just jump across me so you can get to what God wants to do. Like, really, just putting myself out there riskily to say, I'm willing. These are the prophetic people who are focused on Zion and creating this place. The culture of Zion takes the people to kind of establish it and facilitate it. But what it really also takes in the middle of it, we talked about the gates, but now we need the middle of it, is it, it needs the presence of God. See, it is no good for us to live our lives, whether it's in our prayer closet or if it's in our business meeting, if we do not have the presence of God. See, the prophetic culture says that God's presence is the most important thing that there could possibly be in our lives. When you see it in the passage, it says in verse 3, glorious things of you are spoken, O city of God. Meaning that this city, this place is important to God. See, it's not just about God doing stuff, but it is so much about place. We forget it. We neglect it. But God always comes in a place. He comes in garden, right? He comes throughout history, through people. He comes in Jesus. I mean, he's always in a specific place and at the same time, always in every place. I love it because it says glorious things have been spoken of you, O God. This is definitely like a prophetic statement where the sons of Korah are going, guys, you don't even know the glory of the city of God. If you were to go to the city of God today, I would tell you that glorious things everybody's talking about there. Now, what is glorious things? The word glory is the Hebrew word liver. How many of you guys knew that? Yes, a few of you? Probably not. The reason why glory and liver are connected is because in your body, inside of you, the heaviest organ is probably not the pectorals, bro. Sorry. But your liver is the heaviest organ of your entire body. So when you start talking about somebody's glory, you mean that you get up, you're so up in them that you are in the heaviest part of them, the weightiest place, the deep core of the being of God. And for us, what would happen if we started living our everyday life so concretely bought into the heavy place of God? That when we walked and when we moved and when we lived, we would be cored in God's middle. It says in the passage, holy mountain stands the city he founded. God founded this holy mountain in the city. That passage is telling us 
that this weighty, glorious presence has to happen in a specific locality. I believe it's Riverbend today. That God's desire is to so show up here that his glory, his liver, his heavy weight would be so present here that when people leave, they would say glorious things happened in church on Sunday. And people would say, what's glorious things? And you're like, things I couldn't even begin to tell you about because they're so wonderful. See, I think it's interesting that in this passage, he talks about God wanted his mountain to be the place where Zion is. See, a lot of times we don't really get these pictures because in the Hebrew, there's this understanding that when you go up, it means you're closer to the heavens, which means you're closer to the gods. And there's other religions, not just Christianity. And so they think that when they go to the highest place, they are literally like on the seam between heaven and earth. Prophetic people say, I will find the place that is the seam between heaven and earth. Maybe it's a specific location like my prayer closet. Maybe it's a church service every week. Maybe it's when I go out on a walk in nature, I find that seam between heaven and earth. It's like when you look at the horizon with the mountains on top of it, it's like the the heavens, the sky stops at the top of the mountain. Where are those places of horizon? And God says, that's where I want to meet you. I don't need you to fly. I just need you to go as high as you can. The passage also says that you can't just stop there because that's the easy part. It's just to find that high place for your own life. That it also is to look like that presence being constantly extended beyond that one specific location. Truth is, is when you leave here, you are all going to go in different directions. Mm -hmm. The passage says the exact same thing. It says... Among those whom you, who know me, I mention Rahab, Babylon, Philistia, Tyre, and Cush. Now, these do not mean anything to us because we don't live in the ancient Near East. But for the people of that day, the first thing that's interesting that it says is that God says he knows these people. This is the intimate kind of knowledge that means that you have a personal relationship with. The first person in this list is he says, the kingdom, the Zion picture that you have of being on the top of the mountain must extend. And let me tell you the first place it extends to Rahab, ancient word for Egypt. If you are a Christian, you know that Egypt is never a good place. It's the place of slavery. It's the place where we're in bondage. It's the place God wants us to get out of. But in that place, Zion is there too. Someone in Zion has moved from Zion into the West, into Egypt. It also says Babylon, another nation that enslaved and tortured their people. God says, oh, by the way, in Babylon to your east, know that there are those who have been birthed in Zion. They are just like you, even though they're in a different place. Tyre is in the north. It's the the men who basically are merchants and men of commerce going for power and strength and might. And God says, even in the north, with those people, ruthless people, I am with them. Zion is there too. Zion is in the south. In Ethiopia, 
In that moment for them, that's like the deep south. It's so far away from where they would possibly think is possible that God could be. And God shows up in Cush, which is Ethiopia. In all the places of God's enemies, every one of those nations is an enemy of God throughout the scriptures. God says Zion is still there. It's, I mean, over and over again, he says, they were born there. They were born there. They were born there. And for us as prophetic people, we must remember that wherever we go, whoever we talk to, even the enemies of our lives, that God is probably trying to meet them there to tell them where they came from. They were always from Zion. Will you remind them? Will you be a gate? Last place that it mentions is Philistia. We know the Philistines. Goliath, David. I mean, this is the place of giants. The truth is, is the people closest to you, the, close, the people who are right beside you, are normally the most difficult people to believe that God is in the midst of. It could be the big giants of your family. It could be the big giants of the people you work with every day. The truth is, is Zion is there too. The presence of God is not just local, and it's not just moving out of Zion. But it also says that the prophetic presence is something that is to be both remembered and forecasted. See, for many of us, we, we didn't see or, or caught the moment that it says that the Lord establishes it because he records as he registers these people. See, there are many people before you even came into this place who have been recorded as being from Zion, and there will be many more. God will remember every single time his presence showed up in the past and will continue to do it in the future. See, there's something about prophetic history and salvific history that when we look at the story, God does the same thing all the time. You know that the Hebrew word for testimony means to do it again? So when God did it then, he will do it again when you tell the testimony. See, for us, I think that we should be mindful in realizing that God has been mapping this thing out. That he is, you know, it's the word record is this word to mark or to put a memorial up. He will build a whole memorial to remind you of the places that Zion is, even when you forget it. I was just watching Lord of the Rings the other day with a friend of mine and I was watching and they walked up to this place and they were like, yeah, like this is like a place. And, and I think there's like a door here and they knew, and they saw there was markings on this side of the wall. And they're like, this clearly must be the, the door, but no one knew how to get in. And I just thought, how many times has God been marking doors for us in our lives that we have yet opened that would get us where we need to get prophetically Ask. And knowing the history of what God did, what he remembered, is how you know how to get back through to the place that he wants you to be. Third and final point, the prophetic culture that you're cultivating, you're stirring up, is dispersed in one way in this passage. And that is praise. The, va- the very last verse says, singers and dancers alike say, all my springs are in you. All my springs are in you. See, there's this beautiful picture that we talked about at the beginning that we have a river of living, life, of living water that we're hoping that will bubble up prophetically and, and spread wherever we go. 
And the, the passage tells us, first and foremost, that we recognize that it's not just we have one stream. There's a lot of streams within us. The, um, the monastics in Egypt in the 3rd and 4th century, they talked about how our affections are like streams flowing out of our life. So I have an affection for my wife. I have an affection for pizza. I have an affection. All of these things, these desires that flow out of my life cause me to be torn in many directions. I'm pulled, you know. I got to go to work, but I want to play with my daughter, Mercy. You know, I'm pulled. But in this passage, he says, all of my springs I find in you, meaning that there is a way to get all of the rivers in your life back to one stream. And the the ancients in the 3rd and 4th century, what they said is that it takes an incredible understanding of the love of God that will order all of those rivers. See, as you gather all of those things and you love God with your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength, you love those people, then God will redistribute that water so you will know how they can flow rightly. But it takes that process of having God be the one who is all of our springs. I don't know about you, but a simple practice for your everyday life, I just dare you to do it, is to sit in the place and ask the love of God to order your heart, soul, mind, strength, and to order your relationships. You do that and you will become so prophetic. People will go, what is happening You're like, I don't know. I just made a connection that I didn't know was there because I've been tied to a river that flows to the place it needs to go to. Water finds its level. Whatever's low and down, the Lord will flow to that place. If I will pour myself to him as he is the living spring that keeps us alive. Prophetic praise, it will be expressive. Now listen, I know that everybody's not an extrovert. Everybody's not wild and out there. We already talked about being loud, so learn how to be loud and the poetic and creative ways. But here, it tells us that singers and dancers are the expression of praise. See, what we forget and neglect many times is that praise is something for each one of us that creates a moment or an opportunity for others to know what's really happening in our lives. See, when you're low and you're down and you're out and you're frustrated, whatever comes out of your lips, whatever is on your lips is what your life is. Out of the abundance of your heart, what? The mouth speaks. So praise for us has to be something that is always being redirected back to God. The way we speak to each other should be expressed in a way that is always reminding everyone of Zion. In this passage, singers and dancers. The word singer is not just a word who can sing a beautiful song like Crystal and Joy just killing us up here. Singer here means, I love this. I was like, I was so geeking when I read this. Strolling minstrels. People who walk around with a song on their lips. People who just, you know, oh, what a beautiful morning. Oh, what a beautiful day. I've got a beautiful feeling. Everything's going my way. It's that way every time in Zion. There's never a time in Zion that that's not on our lips. It's whistling in the will of God. You know, it's so easy that when you're living this prophetic life, you find yourself just 
chilling as you walk around. And everything that comes out, everyone is amazed by. Oh, that's a glorious thing. Whatever is in him, whatever's in her, that's a glorious thing. I wonder how often that praise comes from our lips. The fruit of our lips giving thanks. That's the prophetic life. That's the expression. If you walk into your workplace with thankfulness on your heart and thankfulness on your lips, people would think you are crazy because the world doesn't live this way. See, Zion doesn't look like everything else. It's not New York City. It's not Nashville. It's not Atlanta. Zion is something different, and prophetic people will be different than those places. The values are different. The dancers could also be instrumentalists or players, but I thought this was so interesting. It literally means the ones who pierce. That praise in your life is something that will pierce situations that are happening. If you live prophetically, you'll be able to look at something and say, done. I'm done with that. Because you will know, you'll be able to pierce that thing and know that the word of God will divide. It will separate from bone and marrow that when you live like Zion, that everything will be correctly put in the places that it needs to be. That as a singer, you're carrying around the goodness of the Lord, but you're also carrying around the ability to say that is not and that is. We've lost this ability in the body of Christ and in the world. No one wants to say this is what it is and this is what it isn't. But the kingdom of God is here to tell us it looks so different. And you have to say that it looks different. When you think about Jesus's Magna Carta, the moment that he's expressing the kingdom so Explicitly, Matthew 5, on the Sermon on the Mount, he says things, blessed are the poor in spirit. I don't know about you, but I'm ready to walk into situations and see people who are acting like they've got a whole lot going for them and say, you know what? It's about poverty in spirit that I will live. And what happens when I'm poor in spirit? I get everything in the kingdom. What happens when I'm pure in my life? I will see God on the mountain. These kinds of things are contrary to the cities and the urban places of the world. And we, as prophetic people, must not hold our lips back. Now, notice that in the passage, it doesn't say criticize, critique, and be frustrated and post a whole bunch of stuff on Facebook about what you disagree with. (laughs) Notice this. What it does say is that your life will be a spring and everything else will be watered by it. Will you water? Will you bring life into the situation or will you just bring more death, which is not Zion? Lastly, if you live from this place of praise and you're finding yourself being wholehearted, all my springs are in you And I know that singers and dancers alike will express this and show this in the earth. I will remember where I was born. I was born for Zion. I am not a citizen of this world. I am a citizen of a kingdom. I am allegiant to a king that is unlike everything else. It's so interesting that in the passage... 
I love this. This really, really blew my mind. It talks about this idea that these are those who have been born there. This is this idea that praise will always reveal the Father. Because if you've been born in Zion, it means you know who you came from. The Father. So praise that comes forth, praise that breaks out, knows the origin is always the Father. And if there's any other father, praise will not come forth. Because he is the father of life. There is a father of lies. Not of life, but of lies that you can buy into. But I believe that prophetic people will realize I have been born of the spirit of God. I've been born from the father. I am like him in all of my ways. And I will show forth the father in this. Because it says this word springs is so beautiful in the Hebrew that the word springs is the place of the eyes, meaning that you will be able to see everything in your eyes of who you are and where you're from. It's like that adage you hear all the time, the eyes are the windows to the soul. I would say that your eyes will be a picture of what the kingdom looks like. Your eyes will show the reflection of the one who you've been looking at. Your eyes are literally going to reveal who is the one who lives in Zion. And I just believe that in order for us to make our slate something that's not empty, not dry, we need to see something again. We need to go back to Zion. Maybe we forgot, you know, there's moments in scripture where it's, the Lord says, gather my people back to Zion because they've, been going, they've gone out. It's always the place of going out, but gather them back so that they might get it again. And I believe for here, us today at Riverbend, that that is what the Lord is trying to say. Will you come back to get the perspective of the Father on the situation? You know, in order to be people who will be prophetic, you have to be somebody who push postures yourself to be in the door, you know, to be the one who's willing to be like the sons of Korah. You have to be the one who recognizes where you came from. The presence of God is where you were made and fashioned and formed before you were even in your mother's womb. He knew you in the presence of God. And then when you begin to express that in your praise, it changes everything in the context that you're in, both specifically and globally. That God is asking us, will you reveal who I am through your praise, through your life, through every part of you? Will you be able to say, all my springs I find in you, God. I don't find a stream from my financial situation. I don't find a stream from all the people that I know, the wealthy, the powerful. That's not where I find my springs. I find my springs in the one who made heaven and earth, the one who created all things, who fashioned me in his image and likeness. When we live that way, everything changes. You're no longer dry. You're no longer empty. You're no longer a blank slate. But you see the picture of Zion and you say, I want to live there and live like it. We become a portrait of Zion in the earth that can impress the kingdom upon every person who we come in contact with. I love... (laughs) 
this idea, this wellspring, this origin of the water. It says in Psalm 46, 4, this is my closing point, and then we're going to do something active. Psalm 46, 4 says, There is a river whose streams make glad the city of our God. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of our God. I don't know about you this morning, but I believe that there is a river that God wants to blow and flow into this place that would make you glad again. That would bring a sense of rejoicing that would be able to say, all of my springs I find in you, every single one of them, all of my springs, I will rejoice and be glad in this. Today is the day. Today's the day. So what we're going to do, we're going to activate this word. Praise is a highway back to the throne of God. We're going to just sing a song together. And uh, I want you to respond to the word of the Lord and recognize that you're called to be prophetic people. Called. To be people who would recognize the river, recognize what God is doing in Zion. And I want to encourage you to act on your praise. Don't just sit unless that's what you do. Lift your voice, raise your hands, express the praise of God in this place. And we believe that God is going to recreate Zion for us right now. I'm going to ask our ministry teams if they would come. I just don't want to miss this moment. I'm going to bless you in a second, release you, but if you need prayer, I want to make sure you don't walk out of this place without receiving an agreement in an area. Today you've sat in this service and just been stirred by the worship and Jason's word, but you don't know the Lord today or you just say, I've been haven't been walking where I need to with the Lord, then don't leave this place without coming up and just agreeing with someone today in those areas. I want to bless you today as the prophetic people of God. I want to bless your spiritual ears. You'll hear God clearly this week. And where there's been confusion and where there's been uncertainty, I just bless you today with clarity and wisdom that you'll hear clearly from the very voice of God. I bless your spiritual eyes. Scripture says that the pure in heart shall see God. I bless you to be able to see the movements of God in and around your life this week. I bless you with the boldness and the courage to declare the praises of God, to declare the Word of God, to declare the heart of God. God bless you. Have a wonderful week.